0: Hey all you Bonsai Time Podcast listeners, this is your host Kevin,
1: coming at you with some new episode release. I know it's been a while, but we got something special for you. This interview will be released in a three-part series, meaning that this month we'll have three episodes released with a continuation of each episode. So stay tuned and find out more about our guest, Dennis Makashima, learning about his journey in bonsai, his life, and his experience overall. We look forward to hearing what you have to think, say, feel, all the above about this episode and the way we're releasing it. And feel free to comment and or like, and or subscribe. Remember, stay tuned and bonsai on.
2: Hey, my name is Dennis Makishima. I'm yesterday's news in bonsai, but that's all right. And I appreciate the opportunity to spew a a few pearls of wisdom for the bonsai podcast here. In the, I'm Very in El Cerrito, cool. which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. okay. Which is across the bay from San Francisco. Okay. But uh, thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, my first and last podcast, I believe.
0: No problem. We'll see about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, how have you been? How are How's California?
2: Yeah, it's about 70 degrees. And it's uh, having a good time, good life, staying healthy. Just yeah. got back from L.A., and I know you're going to Japan pretty
1: soon. Yeah, I'm leaving uh, this weekend. Uh, my wife and daughter are already over there. They'll be there for three months, so it'll be a good good amount of time over there. I'm going there until June 10th. We're doing a traditional wedding ceremony, Botes Shinto, uh in the family shrine, and then we're celebrating my daughter's first birthday on the 31st of this month, so it, it went by pretty quick for her to be one, one year old already. It was really fast.
2: <laughs> Mark planning. You're not there in July, August when it's hot and muggy, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was very fortunate. Although Ohio does have its days where it's like 80% humidity, nothing like Japan though. I hear it's pretty crazy out there as far as 100 degrees and 100% humidity. I was like, yeah.
2: it's a different culture because when I apprentice mm. there, you know, you can't go in your tank top and your right. shorts. and You know, you have to kind of dress appropriately as an apprentice. So I about three pairs of clothes a day when we work on the road.
1: Oof, you're just swimming through
2: all that sweat, huh? You got to be presentable you know yeah yeah i've been to hawaii 35 times and it's just a
1: matter of yeah you know, casuals in and
0: that's my
1: my kind of right right my i like too. that kind of no that's yeah same i there are certain where my wife is from she's from fukushima so mm-hmm. it's um within the mountain range that she's at it's pretty laid back i would say it's they call it countryside but it's a big ish medium-sized town no yeah. were
2: they then, affected by the tsunami and earthquake
1: no, fortunately, that part of Fukushima was coastal. She's more central in Aizu yeah. and she's surrounded by mountains, so they were safe enough. I mean, they felt the earthquake and stuff, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: they weren't affected by the nuclear or anything because that all went south towards Tokyo and through the the wind stream and everything that way. So fortunately, they were uh, okay. Um, but you know, it's always on their minds that that happened so close to home because it was about I think four hours away from the site, four or five. Yeah. But with their high range of uh, altitude and things it didn't really hit them because of where the wind stream like i was saying went to so
2: yeah i went to the uh, world Bonsai convention in uh, saitama mm. one and but the person that uh a friend of mine he did me taxes he's really a renaissance woman and mm. prominent in american and japanese bonsai she uh, she assisted my wife and i attend the convention and, and say see with she and her family and uh Lo and behold, she paid for everything, and you can't argue with these Japanese women. So
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Then again, it was first-class airplane tickets and convention, yeah. all the hotels, and then she lived in that uh, area that your wife's family is from, and that kind. Mm. So we, you know, we visit the Tohoku area quite a bit.
1: Mm. It's beautiful up there, especially during the spring. This is my first time going in um, June. I went to Japan back many years ago uh, in April was there for the whole month of April that was wonderful Went in December this last year to celebrate Christmas with the family and New Year's okay. and that was a nice experience a lot of snow a lot of snow up there it's very cold um not much different than Ohio but yeah. enough to be a difference of the house as you know they're built kind of older and my yeah. in-laws house is about 30 years old so it's very drafty and it was uh interesting no no central heating and stuff you know so it's kind of funny
2: yeah but I uh You know, I I, when I trained in Japan, that's kind of the same thing. And right, I already I went to two Kokofuten shows in February, but that was that that's limited to cold and uh, right. But I I did go three springs and three falls and one. You
1: you study with um, Mitsuya, right?
2: Yes, Yasuo from uh, Toyohashi.
1: Because that was the same same teacher as uh, Kathy Chainer.
2: That's correct. She she preceded Mm. me by six months. Oh really? Okay. We were there at the same time. Mm. She's Very talented woman, and consider her my senpai. She was. Mm. But after a while, you know, you, you all got your own little responsibilities, and mm. other than the fact that I was the lowest one, so if there was a seating for uh, two or three people in a, a client's little workshop area, then it was the client and and Kathy, and then I was outside. So. <laughs>
1: doing your duties and serving everything else right
2: that's correct But uh, that's part of paying your dues and part of being an apprentice and
1: Mm. yeah that's um that's an interesting aspect of life that you know I've talked to my wife about in regards to the cultural identity of it and also just being from that culture as she is but then my interpretation of it will be different um you know an example we took pictures this last time in December I had completely different pictures of like someone who's not from the country <laughs> and then she had some were of just like the nature and things. She's like, your pictures are so different. And that made me think and talk to her about, well, it's the same re- aspect of trying to be uh, a Deshi comparatively to not having that in our culture. You know, there is an apprenticeship pro- model in construction, but that's really not a thing anymore either. Yeah. You know, it's like,
2: I, I did feel though I was treated very well, almost like the, the lowest thing on earth as an apprentice.
0: Mm.
2: Some of the things that emphasize to me if you're carrying a 80-pound tree, mm. you know, it's a module thing in Japan, you know, like 80 pounds yeah. is one person. Here we might have two people carrying it. Right. And when right. it's 125 pounds, you know, two people carry it there and four people carry it here. <laughs> but it was always uh, I had contact with Daiju which is a mm. uh, mother organization. It was in uh Okazaki City. And mm. Suzuki Toto is the current proprietor there.
0: Mm.
2: But it's always emphasized, you know. If you fall, that tree better land on you. No, oh, wow, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, there's what a lot of, of money involved. With that and...
0: you
2: know, that's a valuable pot and valuable trees. Well, okay, that puts things in perspective, and uh, right. But uh,
1: and, no, I mean, that that lets you know where you stand too, right?
2: Oh yeah, I grew up in Berkeley, you know, Berkeley, mm-hmm. California, right in the '60s. Okay. I I used to personal liberties and say what I got to say. Right. Being in Japan was definitely a foreign country. You know, I, I can't speak Japanese nor understand it. Hmm. And what little Japanese I knew was from my mother who learned from her parents. And, you know, that's major era Japanese. So they
1: right, right. That's very, yeah.
2: People say, you know, in Japan, we don't even say those words anymore. Right, right. Wow. Uh, you know, well, I went there and I didn't know my inspector, so I introduced myself. And I said, uh, Makishima, Makishima. And then he said, oh, you don't pronounce your name right you know he, you got to say it kind of in a monotone way. You can't go up and down. Mm. You know, here, Japanese Americans, you know, we say everything. <laughs> if you want, it's like, oh, uh, uh, New Orleans English or something. You know? it's, it's,
1: right, right. That Creole a little bit, you know.
2: Yeah. So I, uh, again, I, I I just learned from there. I said, just keep my mouth shut
1: and
3: head down and go to work.
2: <laughs> work hard. You know? <laughs> Stay out of trouble.
3: Right, right.
1: Oh, hey, Ryan. Can Hello. you hear us? yes uh,
3: and you can hear me right
2: yeah yeah
1: okay uh, Dennis, nice. Nice this too. is Ryan my co-host uh we're uh very thankful for your time today that you've given us graciously
2: um you have a little bench in River forest Oh, nice
3: yeah I changed <laughs> it for you I know that you're in Northern California so that's
2: yeah, just like uh you know maybe about 30 miles from me you've got the same scene.
3: Oh, okay well, that's awesome Maybe from now on, every time we have a guest, I'll change the background to like their native environment. Maybe okay. we'll try that going forward. Right.
2: <laughs> you know, rather than, you know, you show me a scene from Sudan or yeah. Syria or someplace. <laughs> <Okay>. Russia.
1: <laughs> Normally yeah. you, have, uh, you have Dan Robinson's uh, garden in your background, right, right?
3: Yeah. On, on my old ones, I had uh, one of Dan's ponderosa pines that I had taken a picture of when I was uh, apprenticing with him. And mm-hmm. so he was always sitting right behind me but uh i haven't changed it my background in like two years so i think it's time for an update
2: do you still see dan periodically
3: yeah so kevin might have told you i moved here a little over three years ago now um to do my graduate school but i did go back one a little over a year ago to help him with some styling of things and some winter maintenance mm-hmm. and then i would like i was trying to go back like once a year but i'm not sure if i'll get back this year so maybe next repotting season is the next time that I'll try to go back.
2: Okay, because Dan and I have a little history. It's uh, oh, Okay. Well, we were always on the same program, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Because mm-hmm. uh, the convention people deemed us as diametrically opposed the way we approach <laughs> both sides. So they, they always like to put us together.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, I uh, you know, I always advocate just take a time. You know, we'll, it might take us five years to get this treated looking like a pseudo bonsai but uh Mm. but uh you know no chainsaws or anything and (laughs) were
1: you you present when he first brought the chainsaw out the first time
2: uh well i I don't know i i I don't know when he did but i Mm. i known him for about about 40 years Mm. he was one of the earlier pioneers of bonsai on the west coast and Mm. i started 40 years ago Mm. but i did see him at several california conventions and then we did bring Kimura Masahiko Kimura a couple of times, and Dan was uh, always that you know when somebody very prominent from Japan would come, then he would be there. But anyway, that's uh, awesome.
1: Yeah. No, Ryan, we were just chit-chatting. He, uh, Dennis discussed a little bit about his apprenticeship, and I figure we can dive more into that. Um, yeah. I just wanted to say you know give a shout out to Michael Hagedorn and Doyle Saito for oh. getting us into contact with you, and obviously Michael was saying we should you know address your experience and we just really appreciate your time given to us and we look forward to sharing your experiences and your history with everybody that's in the bonsai around the world and america so you know thank you
2: thank you and uh, i'm surprised you asked me because i'm like yesterday's news you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's one of our philosophies with with uh our podcast that we choose to look into more deeply is that if we don't know our history we won't know where we came from and so the people that are still within bonsai uh within this lifetime and are historical figures in that sense of pioneering certain things and or just being part of a circuit or just having experience from back when it was getting its uh roots so to speak um we feel there's a lot to learn from that just because we may be doing some similar things that you've already done that you found a better way to do you know what i mean
2: well thank you i I, (laughs) i've emphasized this this uh effort about tradition and history for at least the last 30 years mm. but uh most of the time you know you're kind of like talking to yourself mm. and I would right. say within the last 10 years it's uh, I could see the dramatic popularity of uh, so-called contemporary bonsai
0: mm. I mean I realize
2: every year there's another contemporary but mm. right, right, <laughs> but right. uh it's just what I would I, I would think that it was because of Kimoto's Influence and work and you know superior work, but right. Uh, I grew up in the Japanese American community here in the Bay Area, and I I, I, I have to, some disclaimers. I'm not an expert on on the history of bonsai, and mm. you know I I do know a lot. I knew all the old times, all the old sensei's here in California, both Northern California and Southern California. It was part of my mission to meet everybody, take workshops from everybody. But it wasn't like this. I never sat down and interviewed anybody. Mm. I, I don't get the information firsthand. This is what I glean from being with these people, and so I, I, I'm, I'm not making it up. It, it could be a bunch of BS, but it's it's based on some logic, some personal mm. experiences. Mm. Are you familiar with uh, how bonsai got popular in the United States as a hobby?
3: Somewhat. I think Kevin and it's I I know heard. that
2: there's bonsais that existed in. Uh, like the Brooklyn Botanical Garden and yeah. like the wealthy yeah. people that had mm-hmm. bonsais at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. But I consider that just a uh, like wealthy people's ornamentation as right. opposed to a, a public hobby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my, my feeling is it started like in 1950 mm. in, in California. And I realized someone in Idaho or somebody else may doubt that. Uh, it was very popular here since like uh, from uh, 1955 on. As, as to the masses here, hmm. that's why I say Japanese American things because uh, it, was, it was kind of a outgrowth of the Japanese American internment in World War II. Right, right. Being imprisoned, you know, you lose everything. Mm-hmm. Back in these, uh, you couldn't get a job. So my parents, typical of this, the typical story. Hmm. Now they were interned. They were in Gila, Arizona, on the. Well, ship was a Navajo reservation, but it was an Indian reservation. It was on the desert. And then my father, when they my parents came back, they first went to Colorado because they were afraid to come back to California. Okay. Because that's where they were, you know, they lost everything, but they mm-hmm. couldn't have it as farmers in Colorado, so they came to California, back to California. And all the men, I mean, just as a big general statement, were you know, they, they were relegated to being gardeners, or work in the floral industry, or nursery trade, produce. Yeah. And all of our mothers were housekeepers. You look at it today. You know the typical immigration pattern. You're, you're a maintenance gardener or you're a house cleaner.
1: Right, right. You
2: know, everybody, all the guys, you know, since they work with plants and they had no money, so like in 1940, well, basically in 1950, they start from seed. Okay. You know, a nursery because they need to feed the family. So they pine seeds and maple seeds were very really prevalent. Mm. And that dominated the early era, early era, era of bonsai here. So, I mean, I had a collection, quite extensive one, and I had at least 100 of these uh, legacy trees. Mm. I mean, 1950, you know, these people started, that's how they started. They kept them alive for 70 years. But at the mm. same time, is, uh, uh, it was done through just the crudest horticultural practices, you know, like rusty nails for iron, oh, a wow. of kids for, you know, fermenting uh, fishy motion. Mm, mm. use eggshells for calcium and you know, but the,
1: the, the, the interesting thing with that not to interrupt is just it still kept them growing like they still maintained them yeah, which is that's amazing
2: i used to teach at a place called Merritt college in oakland in the horticulture department mm. and i my career was in a, as an aesthetic pruner which is a i specialize in small-scale trees in an urban environment but with you know not only horticulture or arboriculture but aesthetics and also mm. So I took, you know, I started that 40 years ago and I started my bonsai training 40 years ago by, by luck. So I, was able to, I didn't use bonsai techniques to dwarf a tree. People didn't want a little little tiny one foot, three foot trees in their yard, hmm. but right. to keep it in scale, you know, like a one story building, 15 feet tall. But I, I used the aesthetics of uh, what I learned in bonsai. So you know, depth of field, proportion, scale,
0: hmm.
2: negative space. Well, oh, it sounded good. My clients believed all that and I was in business. <laughs> But anyway, these old trees. You know, I mean, I, I, I was a teacher, and a lot of the professors there had PhDs. You know, in hmm. soils engineering or uh, nutrition, and they couldn't keep a plant alive for three months. Hmm. <laughs> no you know, no formal education, and they just they kept alive the for seventy years. So that's, I, I know which way I'm going.
1: Right, right. Mad method to their madness and magic, right?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's odd, uh, well, but. I have, uh, you know, I wrote down a lot of things that I thought was the, uh, like the intent or the philosophy of the old timers. Mm. And yeah, it's just my interpretation. So I, I can't say this is the truth, mm. how I view these things. And the term I came up with was benign neglect. Mm. These old timers, you know, they, geez, you know, they're working like crazy. And, and in fact, my, well, my father, you know, he worked himself to death. He died in 1955. So mm-hmm. Okay. And you know, my mom was, you know, mother of four, and she loses her uh, husband. He was a gardener, and he got sick, like maybe the flu. Okay. He had to keep working, you know. Then it turned into pneumonia. Then I, he kept growing, and then it eventually turned into things like meningitis and right, just like that. You know, my family friends came to grammar school, picked me up, and said, "You know, father is dying, and wow, you need to come home." But from that point on, you know, I uh, I, I grew up in that environment where there was all. You know, like the, uh, in South Berkeley, there was a lot, it was a big congregation of Japanese Americans. Hmm. It's, uh, well, Berkeley being a liberal town, but not, you know, and then it was, uh, I grew up in an all-Black community. It was a poor area, but you know, blue collar. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, like, there's six churches all within about a, a mile radius of each other. Uh, two Christian, three Christian and three Buddhist churches. Wow. You know, so when people came back from internment, you know, my, there was a church in Berkeley called the Higashi Honganji Church. You know, all the old, old-time old barters were there, and then they uh, they started their own club, the Fuji Bonsai Club, mm. and became very prominent here in Northern California. It's reputed to be one of the oldest. There's about three or four clubs in California that try to date the history back to 1950, which makes them the oldest club in California, mm. which basically makes them the oldest club in the United States.
1: I've heard that, yeah.
2: Yeah, you need documentation no one had documentation mm-hmm. i've seen documentation like 1952 or something like that but to get back to 1950 then that makes you
1: the king you know You're right right the
2: first <laughs> I mean, ah, the, Hill. Club, you know, the california bonsai society there's mm-hmm. a in sacramento that refused to be from 1950 and the one in berkeley but all the all the old masters were there have you heard of a man named Hōme isayama
1: i have not right a view never He's-
2: just a renaissance man. I, mean, he, I, I think he was associated with UC Berkeley, but he was just a tremendous artist. Mm. There's a book, if you ever get it, called Damman, Gaman, G-A-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. It's uh, about art being produced in, in the camps.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: okay. showed two of Homi Isayama's things, They're like an inkwell, but made out of uh, shale or slate or something. It's just beautiful work, and he made his own tools. Wow. And then uh, when the Fuji Bonsai Club first started, it was like maybe 10 really prominent bonsai people here. And they wanted Homi Isiama to be their first sensei. Mm. So he was, you know. And, but I, I got—I never got to meet him personally. But as a tree pruner, I worked on this garden, you know. After he died, his, his wife was still there. So it's just, you know, it's, it's been my pleasure to hang around some of these old timers that one of a kind. Just like mm-hmm. John. You know, if you mm. ever knew him
1: and wow those guys I wish I could have met him I I know he passed away in I think early thousands um you know due to him in old age and things and then the stories I've heard you know from uh we have a Ryan I have a mutual friend Chase Rosade he's up in New Hope Pennsylvania I think we discussed his name uh when I talked to him on the phone the first time um he's told the stories about John and UG and all these people and he actually uh he actually said um that he recalls if his memory is correct when he said this uh when what he told me he's like if my memory is correct I think I did a class with Dennis before and I think yeah. it was in Ohio and um I, I if I heard you correctly and I made a note of it you said you did some work in Hudson Ohio back yeah. in the day um yeah. what was that like because I mean we're now in the ones I seen in Ohio I mean I'm originally from Oregon okay. Brian's from here in Columbus uh, originally and studied in Seattle with Dan and things and then I moved here in 2018 with my wife and all that and uh what was your experience like in Ohio at the time with that
2: it was uh, it was actually a great time. I I actually did a I was on the program at uh, Russell's bonsai nursery. Oh wow, That's all awesome. around Mississippi. Mm-hmm. That's right. uh, this guy in the audience, he had a, at that time it was the Cleveland Indians, but he was a baseball fan. And, mm-hmm. You know, he had the cap, and then I was on stage, and he kept asking questions on pine, on Japanese back pine, and even though they don't do well in, in a real cold climate, I mean, he's an expert on ponderosa, but. But he was inquisitive about Japanese black pine, so let's, let's meet after we talk. Mm. And we talked for like a couple of days. And then he invited me out. To, he lived in Hudson, Ohio. His name was Greg Cloyd. Okay. And, you know, we for two straight sessions. Right. Like, I went out there twice. So it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we just talked about Japanese black pine.
0: Oh wow!
2: You know, pine theory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That interested, you know. And then uh, he actually took the took those sessions and my words and put it up. Put out this little. Thing, about 80 pages long on pine theory wow and you know, I combined it with my bonsai experience like training in Japan I traveled to Hawaii 35 times and how pines Japanese black pine grown in, in a tropical area
1: oh wow
2: so here in California I, as an ornamental tree pruner a lot of Japanese gardens fall in that category and mm-hmm. work on about a thousand Japanese black pine landscape trees you know along with a thousand bonsai pines and uh you know, I made my own theory. Maybe right. That, well, it could be a lot of... <laughs> you know, I, don't know, but I just, did, You know, what I consider maybe a, I had like a test, a test. Uh, you know, I had a control group.
1: I was going to say you had a lot of test subjects, right?
2: I, mm-hmm. I did. You know, my of course, my clients, my tree pruning customers were the, uh, without them knowing it, they were the, you know, the <laughs> sacrificial trees. Undisclosed. <laughs> but I went around the United States and I asked everybody, tell me something about what you know about pines. Mm. But it has a different uh, concept of decandling or when to prune what. Mm. There are nuances of microclimates. And, you know, there's a difference between a pine in a pot and a pine in the ground. And yeah. uh, you know, even in, in there's microclimates in Ohio. You could be in a sheltered place or places you know really cold. You get close to the Great Lakes. Mm. But I I, uh, I went up to Hudson and it was like, but he he put my words into something almost intelligent you know like, oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, he really was, paid attention
2: he was, could do anything. I mean, he was mm. it was like the last cut before Olympic trials and cycling and he did this he did that and uh <clears throat> but what I really liked about uh, Hudson Ohio is he there's several things that happened one was this I don't know, once every 15 years or some cicadas or coming out of the grounds oh
0: yeah yeah
2: gross you know how yeah. these things mm. but uh and then he took me down to the town, a little, little, you know, really a small village kind of thing. And they found a a, a drugstore. Mm. From the like a 150 year old drugstore, but they had a soda fountain. Oh, nice! That was wonderful, man. I just, I just <laughs> love these things, you know, milkshakes and and uh, that. I live for that kind of stuff. So, mm. hey, you know, he said, "You want to go to?" I said, "Sure." You know, like, <laughs> he took me to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. And
1: nice, nice.
2: We were supposed to go to a uh, Akron Zips. It was a, I think it was a baseball game. I think they were baseball and we were supposed to go there. and uh, But before he lined up this kind of a friend of his that did a peace uh, ceremony thing. But she was kind of long winded, you know, we wanted to go, but we were, ah, uh, protocol, so courtesy and you know, we'll stay. So we missed the game, so I didn't go to that. Okay. But that's how i wound up in hudson but i i did go to the cleveland bonsai society and,
3: uh, yeah. so at that time you were you said that you got to hudson because you were on a like a demonstration for brussels bonsai yeah so uh like what led you to the point in your career where you were demonstrating i guess how did you kind of get started
2: okay i, I it's i shouldn't be telling anybody publicly but i i took uh 40 years ago i took five lessons from this man named masu he was a bonsai master here. He lived in Berkeley, almost like a, maybe a mile away from me. And I knew his son, so I, I kind of knew Moss. But it just so happened that it was a family function, my wife's side. And his son married my wife's cousin. So we were at the same family function. And how fate, how things work. I was in the kitchen. You go right down the hallway, you go to the bathroom. And I had to go to the bathroom. But instead of going down the hallway, for some reason, I took the security route. I went... All the way around, I went to the living room to get to the bathroom. And Moss was talking to these old-timers about bonsai, and I had just started my tree printing career, so yeah, sounds interesting. You know, so I uh, I took his lessons. And uh, lo and behold, uh, there was a little uh, community place near me that had an Asian cultural fair. They needed someone to do bonsai. Well, I would be the least one you would want to consider to do a talk or demonstration, uh, the person that recommended me, she was a floor arrangement person, a family friend. So, uh, all right, I logically deduced that the audience got to be dumber than me. And I just regurgitated by, you know, I, I, I the informal upright style. I had a juniper and I, I explained the nuances of the style and put the, you know, the training wire for the trunk to be bent. Well, that was it. That was my first demo in my first year, 40 years ago. And from that point on, uh, I didn't lobby for these things. It just, they just fall into place, you know, of course, being part of the Golden State Bonset Federation, which at that time was rocking and rolling. I mean, we were, you know, big stuff. We had a great convention. We had 87 clubs. You know, we were able to pull in demonstrators like uh, Kimura or Mitsuya or Kobayashi, and Suzuki and you know, a whole bunch of people. It was just right place at the right time where, and that's kind of the reason why I got to Japan. You know, Japan was kind of a, uh, close as far as the bonsai world you know they they evolved around them
1: and when did you go what year? just did you go to japan
2: i went to japan 1980 80 81 82 in that period there okay i'm sorry 1990 91 and 92. okay okay so i i started in 80s it was about 10
1: years but i uh so did you get busier when you came back from Japan, or were you already busy prior to going to the apprenticeship? I was, busy.
2: I was uh, actually. I decided to calm it down when I came back to Japan. Mm. Was, you know, there's an assumption you go to Japan and you study professional once, Even though I didn't go for the full apprenticeship, you know, I went for two years, not five. You know, and I I also told my instructor says, "Look, if you don't want to accept me, I understand. You know, I'm not going to do this professionally. It's my hobby. You know, and it's something that." I'm fascinated by and but I'm just not gonna have a nursery. I'm not gonna sell my ball size. Mm, mm. You know, I just still to, to this day I've always been a hobbyist. I've given thousands of trees away, but I never sold anything. But I, I have to consider myself a professional because I did do workshops, convention demos, you know, and you get paid for that.
1: I was gonna I was gonna ask, how do you you know clarify? that kind of murky water sometimes where somebody says they're professional because they do something or not, you know, how do you do that specifically with bonsai?
2: Yeah, specific because I didn't make my income from bonsai. It's just, I derived money from it and I did teach, but tree pruning was my occupation. Mm. I have to list the bonsai as my obsessive hobby. <laughs> yeah, But, you know, clarify, I didn't get paid. And yeah. as far as, you know, I got free rides. I went to Europe, Spain, Italy. Wow. So, uh, did some help. I helped out in Japan for... Suzuki Toru or Mitsu and their demos. Mm. They pay, but you get, you know, this national publicity.
1: Right, right. And that Japanese, makes you more in demand, right?
2: Japanese, you know, I am Japanese-American, but of course they want to chronicle the fact that I was an American. Mm. You know, so it's good for them. Right. And right. So I went to Japan, you know, they, they found that the rest of the world was moving around without them. You know, bonsai in Europe, bonsai in the United States, uh, bonsai in Puerto Rico and other places were zooming along and, mm. And because they didn't really open up to the public, and their you know their instructors, that they thought they better jump in because this is it's business in Japan, you know, big business. So Europe was popular because you can there's no import laws, there's no you know, here we got agricultural rules that you can't import black pines or anything else, and, well, but Europe didn't have that. Mm. So it was a good business partner, you know, you they could ship stuff over to Europe and people make a lot of money. So when mm-hmm. the Japanese uh, offered the opportunity to Californians, mm-hmm. uh, well, they saw it as just not only being benevolent,
0: mm-hmm.
2: they saw it as, ah, we can come here and get talks, lectures, demonstrations, <laughs> make some money and maybe somehow sell you a pot or something that, that is allowable. So I mean, that's the, the, it's just my opinion, but that's just what I thought was the underlying reason why you opened up all of a sudden.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and I did my part. I was—I became the president of the Kona State Bonsai Federation. And wow. Who should we bring to our convention? Oh, I can bring a or I can bring in Suzuki Toto. You know, <laughs> that name dropping. And <laughs> I was part of the Hawaiian group, so we we brought in uh Mitsuya and Suzuki Toto and others. And I said we can get them almost free. Mm-hmm. So they'll come. They like Hawaii, and, and Hawaiians are really taking care of Japanese when they go to Hawaii, rather than coming to California, let alone. A, Columbus, Ohio, or something. <laughs> some, bun, some so, so I got these people in and uh uh became like a you know my worth in Japan zoomed up. Mm. You finish you're nothing. and nothing. Mm. When you finish and you you know, I was still nothing and you come back and uh, you know, but I was like a oh man, I was 42 years old when I started. Most apprentices you start from like 17, 18 years old. Right. Oh no. <laughs> but I, I all worked on them young guys. I was physically fit and I also had uh, I knew what a pine was. <laughs> young guys yeah, come back start high school, they don't know anything. You actually got to be like their parent.
1: Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that a from pro. multiple people. Like you you go into an apprenticeship as like almost an infant, and then you learn the ways of the world through right. that lens, right?
2: That's right. And an instructor really doesn't teach you that much. Right. It's the, it's the senpai, you're are your, the senior apprentice will teach the junior apprentices. And mm. uh, you know, that's where the discipline comes from and all the, the technical work. And then I also realized that the Japanese aren't necessarily good teachers. You know,
1: in, in, in what way?
2: Well, here, you know, the onus is on the teacher to be a good teacher. If you don't get it, the teacher takes upon themselves to work with you and help you and mm. teach you the lesson that you didn't get.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the onus is on you to be a good student. You know, mm. masters do masterful work. Right. You know, Zach explained it to you, and they don't maybe don't even know what they're how to explain it to They just do things that are great. Is you that,
1: know, is, that is, it, is it that learned by watching and taking yeah. okay. if yeah. you don't
2: get it, you better get that plane ticket home, it ain't gonna last long. Mm, I, now, I was encouraged to ask questions. You know, just observe and you can figure it out. And I had after 10 years of working in my profession, I had a I thought a vast knowledge on how duffy's black pine grow, and mm. how to deal with them. But of course, you know, it's microclimate. so you go to Japan, you know, and then you have to adjust. It's common sense, you know, if you're in a Tohoku area, it can get quite cold in the mountains. Yep. But, you know, pines don't really grow that well, they're more like the white pines or red pines are there. you are on the seacoast and the more temperate areas, then you know, the black pines will grow. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. The Japanese had a hard time, Japanese tree pruning professionals, they come here to California, because you learn by road, you learn the same thing over and over and over again, until so it's automatic. And it's hard to adjust. You know, you go to L.A., there is no technical winter.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: No, it's winter because it's the shorter days. Mm. So even more on the on end. The and those pines are weak, so you have to worry about it because growing all the time doesn't mean the thing is stronger. It's just it's weaker. It's like all both of you, you need six hours of sleep at night at least, you know, to mm-hmm. generate. If you, could, you can live with two with just two or three hours of sleep every night, but it would be like a walking zombie
1: yeah the production value goes way down so yeah. you
2: know you got to be careful in hawaii because plants never have a rest
1: that's interesting yeah really? that's, it's funny you talk about hawaii um my wife you know i told you she's from japan hmm. she applied for three phd programs it was hawaii here and madison wisconsin she visited madison wisconsin said it's too cold too small a town yeah. not of japanese people we were this close to going to hawaii but then we realized it's quite expensive I didn't know about the bonsai scene i knew there was a pretty well established club down there but i was like i don't think i could bring my trees with me as it's an island you have to do all these things you have to fly there ohio mm-hmm. you can drive there no problem right and from your experience how even to now if you know uh how is the scene in hawaii is it still promoting well or is it still kind of just there and doing its
0: thing
2: it's kind of just there it, it hit a low period you know okay for several reasons you know one the big one was because of covid yeah, for yeah. a meeting, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you they had like an Oahu and Honolulu area. And there was the Okinawa festival that was every uh day, mm-hmm. in the Queen Kapiolani Park. I, my wife and I went there like thirty times, thirty years in a row. and Hawaii, bonsai association had a uh, exhibition, but it was in a tent. The whole you know the whole fair was you know a bunch of a series of tents, and uh, uh, in those days. I the Japanese Americans were very prominent in Hawaiian bonsai, you know, and all the islands. Uh, but one reason why bonsai was on a decline because all the old timers were passing away. Yeah. Everybody I knew, all the senseis, I knew like at least six or seven and, and uh, they all died. So it's tragic, you know, you get to meet people and then they're gone, but uh, uh, it's slowly starting to come back. You know, the Hawaiian Bonsai Association is. Starting back up again with uh, another exhibition. Good. You know, so they can. They have a called ABC program. They, they, when people come to the exhibition and people want to learn, and they have these once a year classes. Mm -hmm. You pay, you know, x amount of dollars. You get like twelve lessons. You know, different people will teach you different things, whether it's repotting or pruning and basics of bonsai. Mm -hmm. uh, That was part of my role, as I was. uh, Then I've had. I'm, you have to watch it because I've been all over the place doing all kind of stuff <laughs> you know so on one hand it was very wonderfully exhausting right and if you two talk bad about me I'll find out but if I got people <laughs> go all over the place for,
1: never we would
2: never but anyway the, Hawaii is on the kind of the rebound good but good. Uh, to me you know it's going to take a long time to replace the old uh, senseis right and that's
1: that's the thing like ryan and i we both have been a part of starting the first bonsai club ever at the ohio state university and mm-hmm. that's what we're thinking too is like how do we keep this going on without us being here you know in regards okay. to it living on past our time at this university mm-hmm. and
2: have you heard of the golden state bonsai federation teacher development program no,
0: no what's that haven't.
2: about well just, of course i was uh i was the chair of that committee mm. And uh, you yeah, know, I was very interested in uh, on-site basics, you know, because how do we how to, re- how to uh, generate interest to keep a club alive, you need new people.
1: Right, fresh blood,
2: you know, yeah. I found one thing, it just we had I said 87 clubs, and then you go to all the clubs, and uh yeah, they're teaching different basics. I, said, mm-hmm. I don't think you have a teaching style, but basics are basics, you know, there are five basic styles according to the Japanese uh you know, I consider bonsai as a Japanese term, so there's a Japanese nuance to how they approach these trees. China yeah. has theirs, Vietnam has theirs, South Asia has theirs. So you can't talk about five basic styles because you're talking about, you know, bonsai as we do it here in the United States is pretty much based on the Japanese model. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to, let's say, some philosophical approach from China or some or another areas, more of a tropical thing, or in Vietnam was Honan Bow, which is it's uh, uh, it's like a gigantic version of, of the Japanese psyche, you know, the trees and rocks yeah. and landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be like twenty feet long. You know, people bring in sections.
1: Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I
2: don't know what this is. but you know, You'll find. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you define these things as well? Hmm. I, I consider like not apples and oranges, but it's like uh, music. And mm-hmm. then there's nuances of jazz, or classical. So I said, this is all aesthetically pruned trees in a pot, no matter what mm. country you go But then you know it depends on which country, which influence. So the, the Japanese model has five basic styles. You know, the formal upright, the informal upright, the slant, half cascade, and full cascade.
0: Mm-hmm. Six.
2: And I go to some places, you know, they got eight basic styles. And, you know, <laughs> so there's only five. I don't know who made that up, two or three hundred years ago, but you know we abide by that.
1: Right, right, right. You
2: know, the tree can't be any taller than three feet,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, by definition.
1: And but, so you you helped create this program, or you yeah. had established it.
2: Well, you to I had uh, name recognition at the time. I was the president of the Golden State Monster Federation, and I had been an instructor in a lot of these clubs. Mm-hmm. So you know, I knew a lot of the people. So we hammered it out. You know, I, I got all the instructors together, and I had five seminars. Mm. Five districts in the Golden State bonsai federations. So I had I had a get together in each district, and I brought all the senseis in. Said, Look, we're gonna duke it out here. You know, like <laughs> I don't care if you talk about you know what plant or whatever, but there's just five basic styles.
0: Mm.
2: You know, wow, oh, the half cascades, the hybrid. Like, I mean, uh, geez, you know, this don't get. I-, I forgot the name of the term. It's an Italian term. Uh, I'll probably say it wrong. But... Timanachi or
1: Oh, the Fibonacci, I mean. yeah.
2: Yeah, one guy was teaching that. I said, look, that's cool, but it's kind of pretty overwhelming for a new student that has a one-gallon can in front of them. Right. Dumb it down. This is, so we have five basic styles. Mm-hmm. And the goal was to uh, keep the instructions simple. You know, just don't get too fancy in this thing. And then this, there's basic tools. This, you don't need the Masakuni tools when you first start.
1: Right, it's very expensive.
2: Just got a pair of garden scissors or Electrical pliers or something, and I don't know, We are not going to use coat hangers, but you know, this is we can get you wired kind of cheaply. But just to wire the main trunk and a one gallon can. Mm-hmm. Don't take it out of the can. Don't repot it. Just if you take it out of the can, you know, people do that, and you know, then they work on the tree, but it dries out the root system. If you repot it, you got to cut the root system. I
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, like teaching a young, a new student. So uh, We're going to do all the technical things, and we're going to repot, and this is like having open heart surgery. Exactly. Yeah. How the heck can you, as a novice, keep a tree alive when you, you know, you gotta water it every day? Keep it in the can. You know, you can go almost a whole week sometimes without watering it. Mm-hmm. You know, just if you can't keep that alive in one year, then maybe the handwriting is on the wall. Maybe. <laughs> that is not what you wanted. Right. So uh, we we have the on site basics, uh, and then we didn't write the curriculum. Okay. Like BCI, ABS, they all had their own curriculums anything uh, educators wrote this stuff out lesson one lesson two I said our principal thing was just keep it simple and we broke it down so it is simple mm-hmm. and then uh we said that next level I have to get past the first year then you can start repotting because then it's, it requires more tools mm-hmm. and it requires more dedication to more diligence and watering and care and sunlight and then so let us not use the it is because they're they, they snap yeah they're very brutal you I know. Mean, Having said that, I saw this guy uh, in Sacramento. He, he was a guest from Japan, a headliner. You know, he's gonna grab his big branch and then bend it down to here. So <laughs> we're well, all sitting there, waiting for that big crack. He grabbed that thing, he turned it into like knots. Unbelievable.
0: Uh, wow.
2: you know, no, 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 not even John Lackett could do that. But he says, you know, the way you fill the trunk, you can find, you know, the lifeline to twist this thing and so, say, wow. But, you know we don't want novices to do that
1: and right right you're just asking for plants
2: that can be neglected and stay alive
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: because the juniper is the are the cheapest plant to get most mm-hmm. available well, and uh they can take drying out they could take too much water No
1: fertilizer. Yeah. so yeah, the, percum- the the nano is that one you guys use a lot that specific variety
2: yeah
1: yeah that one they could throw pretty much the whole sink and everything else with it
2: that's yeah, so right then we had a you know we taught the instructors, those who would, you know, abide by what we're trying to do. In teaching, it was the one side basis teacher's guide, you know, like uh, we wrote down maybe 40 rules for you to try to abide by. Mm. You know, even like uh, if you have a group of 10 students, you know, you need an instru- uh, instructor and a half, you need an assistant. And we broke right. it down a one, one instructor can handle six, at the mm. most, seven students
3: if it's very hands-on in terms of that and, uh, and you yeah. do it
2: so we said don't let the instructor do it you know mm-hmm. elderly people sometimes they need a little hand you there know, they have weak hands you need to assist them a little bit but, right you know we just says you know on, on the slide, you can let you know you think that they're bending it but actually you have your hand on that thing and you're doing the work
1: right right you know, just, just allowing them to do the work
2: look at what right. accomplished here you know little kids you know and, mm. but uh so well, actually This is it. This is the sophisticated document. to State Bonsai Federation Bonsai Basic Teachers Guide.
3: We'll have to see if we wow. can find that online. Yeah, yes, it's
2: amazing. A, it's, well, I'm not even sure the Gona State Bonsai Federation exists anymore, but uh, you know they fall on a hard times because of the pandemic. But right, this is on their website. I don't know what their you know how do you get them, but it's it's the to State Bonsai Federation, and it's listed as the Basic Teachers Guide. Oh, wow! So what what happened was it became very popular because it didn't end with like a there's a guy named Thomas Zane. He was out of uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. He had a really sophisticated program, and all this stuff. that was on uh, tape and everything, and you know, booklets and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this fit right in with what they're trying to do. This is the, how to teach what they have. So uh, I, I interviewed uh, thousands of people that dropped out. What's that gonna dropped be? Dropped out some say, well, it's just more expensive than I thought. Yeah. So yeah. We, you know, we, we said, well, well, we'll you know put in here, You know, these are the basic tools that you need just to get started. Mm-hmm. Some people thought that the uh, instruction was just too complicated, you know, which is true. And then some people went from one club to the other, and it was taught totally something different. So we need to standardize what is basic. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, and if you go from, uh, this thing went around, I got, I got a correspondence from Sweden, one from... Uh, Peru mm-hmm. hey you know they they, they enjoyed this and this is we're by ourselves and we just use this as a, as the guide of how to start up one-site basics program mm-hmm. but we found that a lot of students were just isolated in the audience and uh, they, they don't know what's going on especially in, in California at that time we're going through a transition it was after the civil war and clubs really so those that that were under the contemporary umbrella
0: mm-hmm.
2: they wanted the Kimuras. Okay you know, for a local club yeah I was going to cost you fifteen thousand dollars and breaks the bank wow yeah a lot of people just want to have coffee and socialize and
1: right right social hour right
2: yeah you know, goofy stuff I mean, you need these people too because you know they have shows mm-hmm. got sit at the door or someone's gotta set up the backdrops and but then uh there was a big friction there so I, I didn't have the answer but I asked I asked all the advanced people can you just break off stay with the club. Perform your own study group within the club. Hmm. You you as individuals put in your own money, and then you can, if you want to pay uh, in your own little thing, five hundred dollars per person per year. But then you could bring in, you know, a high profile person. You know, mm-hmm. a, basic, a basic student didn't need uh, the top professional from Japan to come and talk to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, we, right.
2: The best things, and I'm not sure what it's like in Ohio, but there are clubs. that yeah, Just a whole plethora of, of School teachers. Mm. I went through the system, picked out all the school teachers and all the trainers and people. One person was a trainer of how to work an x ray machine. Mm. They're used to dealing with people and mm-hmm. personalities. You know, they know how to deal with an aggressive pruner and a real conservative, shy person. So uh, I said, You guys teach the basics. And I'll move all the old timers that didn't want to teach the basics You know, up to well, this is too simple for you. You're just, you're great. Why can't you teach to advanced people? We'll honor Mm -hmm. you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Headliners and workshop leaders at our conventions and let the school teachers teach.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah, we've been trying to think about setting up a kind of mentorship or beginner classes because as you just stated, you know, it's how you retain people to come back because they feel like they're being... Heard and listened to and taught, right? As opposed to oh go on your own. <laughs> good yeah. luck, you know.
2: You know, and I'm very not convicted, but you're not gonna fall into the party line. Mm. What you want? It's your club. But when you start dying, well, I'll be right there. I said, I told you so. And I'm like, <laughs> you try know, trying these people out. You know, yeah. this plan I had for 10 years I've been using. Mm. You know, I told me it wasn't it wasn't a good plan 10 years ago, and still not a good plan. Well, oh, it's like something you gotta get over yourself. When you're were... great people, you know, like I got them on my side.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: On side instructors here, and then they got they got their clubs and then they got other people in line because if they can do it, you can do it. The right. man named Katsumi Kanushita in Monterey. Uh, he is the last of the whole generation. He's the last one standing. Of these old Japanese-American senseis. You know, he's still alive. I think he's he had a bad stroke, but I think he's still teaching in somewhat. But he, he was instructor for like three or four of the old Japanese clubs that never joined the Federation. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, I, you know, I'd like to get them in the Federation. You know, he said, well, just leave it to me. I'll get them in.
1: With the Federation, did it also encompass the full I, at that time when the Federation was made and you were in such uh, standings within the Federation, was there still predominantly only Japanese speaking clubs at that time, or had those kind of Um, Say again?
2: Just the opposite. Okay. You know, the Japanese American clubs, uh, maybe, just as a crude guess, maybe 60% that were all Japanese speaking didn't join the federation. You know, and Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it it was kind of like racism in reverse, whatever it was, but it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I had to understand where they were coming from. These people were interned in prison. Right, right. Right. Uh, You know, you got everything taken away from you. We're going to do something Japanese, you know, we're going to do bonsai, we're going to Ikebana, we're going to keep it for ourselves, you know, so they really didn't open up, and then a lot of them were self-defeating because they just spoke Japanese, and I said, you're not going to get any new people, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to die, you know, and I was looked back like at, at this as a savior, you know, like you. I was sitting there in these club meetings, and I couldn't understand Japanese, I said, for 10 years, trying to glean some information, mm-hmm. you know, and then it came time, well, you're know, the future of the club, I'm out of here, I didn't look, mm-hmm. you know, you want me only at the end because you're getting desperate. And like, I got. Uh, I'd rather do this stuff on a federation level.
1: Right. Right.
2: So, uh, but uh, I was also uh, chair of the history project for the Golden State Onsite Federation. But it was only—it was our 25th anniversary. 20 years ago. Okay. 45 right. years old now, but we did a 25-year commemorative thing, and I—I I did a history, but only the two years prior to the formation of the federation and two years after. It's, you know, you, you can go history. And it's like. Ten years after, 20 years after, I just felt the formative years. You know, who was there? What was the thought process? Document all their, they had notes for these board meetings. And, mm. and what was the principles involved? And you know, A typical United States kind of thing. They had uh, one club, one vote. They had issues along the way because there were some clubs like uh, San Diego and Kofukai in Los Angeles that had 400 members. Wow. We had, we had a club in Crescent City that had 10. But you know, one vote. You know, wow. So it's like, wow, ah, you know, it was a whole rebellion here, and it was this over there. So you, you never <laughs> get out of the politics and stuff.
1: Right. That's what we're realizing to, just either at the university level or you know, city level, you know, public. It's. Okay.
0: Uh,
2: it was important because uh, it's part of this history we're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the Golden State Bonsai Federation, but it wasn't a history of bonsai in California. And again, I see this loosely. I I I I prefer to think that Bonsai as a hobby started in California. Mm. Because I'm a Californian. It's just uh I noticed when like in Minnesota, but the instructor was uh, Tosavar from Palo Alto. Mm. And, and you know, Masi Mizumi went to Minnesota and other places, you know, there's there's a Japanese American presence. But well, like in uh Arizona, mm-hmm. so uh, Leeway Fuji. It's also a part of the internment of people being dissipated after that point. Right. I'd all been in you know interned in Wyoming or Utah or someplace, but you know, when they they didn't want to come back to California, so they wound up in Chicago or Ohio or Detroit. You know, Japanese Americans were there basically before.
0: Right. A you know,
2: right. lot kind of went to Arizona, but uh and there was uh are you familiar with the Japanese American old timers? Any of the more prominent names?
1: Um such you as like, uh, I was gonna say, say. There's uh Harry Harrow, Ben O. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um so there's a gentleman in Portland, uh, what was his name? Masa yeah, I, I can't think of his name. He was up in Portland, you know, and then Yuji Yoshimura, you know all about that. Mm-hmm. But in regards to you probably know so many, well, you do know so many more names in regards to that. How how did um that relate to you being able to kind of project all this knowledge? Because you've had this basic knowledge of post-World War II Bonsai, right? Because you've seen it, you've been a part of it. And then going into being in the part of the Federation, did that um, experience help you kind of guide how you wanted to help the clubs in that way?
2: Yes, I'm very manipulative. (laughs) I I like to think of myself as uh, always with a plan. Mm. I was the president of the Bonsai Federation from 2002, 2003. It's it's actually a 10-year process. Oh. Who the hell want to be a president of Federation is, is You have to be second vice president for two years. Okay. Then you're first vice president for two years, and then you're president for two years, and then you have four years of you know past presidency as being on the board.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I chose when I wanted to be uh, nominated for the second vice president's position because I knew that it was, it was the big changeover right there from a Japanese-American influence to a non-Japanese-American influence. All the old timers were gone. Mm. generation there's only about five of us the third generation Japanese American so you know it's like why because of my father was a gardener everybody else's father was a gardener and right. my mother was a house cleaner, cleaner and all my female friends you know or sister they didn't want to be house cleaners you know so like I didn't want to do what my father did I, I had, it's actually very bad to say this but I was embarrassed by what he did mm. well he might want to be a fireman or somebody he good he's a gardener right you know, all of our parents are carters, they're all poor. So, I, uh, what does your father do? You know, car. He does stuff, he does stuff. He's a, a, <laughs> a kid, you know, it's like a, yeah. in the 50s was a movie, a TV program called Dragnet.
1: Oh yeah, I've seen it.
2: Yep. It was, a, you know, it was something, it was a government thing, so government, G-Man. I
1: was gonna say spy, as was a spy show, right?
2: No, it was actually a detective thing in Los Angeles.
1: That's what I was thinking the uh, other, yeah.
2: But, you know, they were called G-men, you know? So what's your father though? He's a G-man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Assuming he's government, man, he was a gardener, you know? <laughs> But then you know, none of us, and I, you know, luckily in the Japanese-American community, hmm. still a recently immigrated type of community where the East days were the first generation, they immigrated our grandparents, okay. I mean, 1990, 1900. And so your, there, parents,
1: your parents were second generation?
2: Yes, they okay. were born in Sacramento. Okay. So they were Niseis, the second generation. And that's the basically the group that got interned. Right. And within that, there's a subcategory called Kibe. So my mother was technically a Kibe. Mm-hmm. She lived here lived in Japan for her grammar school, junior high school, and then brought back here. It was just hard times as being in a farm community. You know, they didn't own farms. They're like, you know, work for farm groups. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes you just can't make it. Or in those days, you know, we had to remember those World War One, the Depression. You know, so a lot of times, you know, when well, my grandfather died. You know, when he was here, my grandmother had to go back to Japan, mm. so brought the kids back. Okay. And parents, so that's a kibei. John Naka's is a kibei. I was a kibei, mm. mm. born here but lived, you know, part of their life in Japan. And uh, my generation, there's only about five or six of us that really took a bonsai seriously. Okay. There were anomalies. Uh, some people like Hori uh, Nagatoshi from Silmar, California, Malikeda, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago. And uh myself, there was mm-hmm. uh, Lindsay Shiba mm-hmm. and uh, a couple others, and they might have just been right after us, but we're the only ones. So what do you think, what do you think I that is? There, hey, you know, I, I I went to you, so let me let me hang out at your clubs and mm-hmm. Japan say hey, this guy's a novelty, he's Japanese American, maybe we can you know use him as a student. Right. You know, I, I had an education, so I was fairly articulate, and they wanted me to come back and share the what I learned in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wasn't shy or something like that. and I wasn't greedy. I mean, well, I'm gonna keep all these things to myself and, <laughs> and my own business. And you know, so but being Japanese American, and then uh, we had unwritten laws in the Golden State Bonza Federation, mm-hmm. even bylaws and policy procedures. It's unwritten. So mm-hmm. one was every other president had, you know, he had to switch. Northern California, Southern California, typical political thing. Hmm. It wasn't our, our bylaws. It was just you elect somebody from LA one year, one year two year term, and the next guy had to be Northern California. Interesting. Also, the same thing it was very unusual. Every other president had to be Japanese American.
1: Hmm. Oh, wow.
2: That's what the
1: nation. Yeah.
2: In the early, early days, uh, well, the first two weren't. Okay. The first one was uh, Jim Barrett, mm-hmm. president. Mm-hmm. But these are a little bit more. In those days, more the contemporary bonsai people, more the, well, they but they were all students of prominent Japanese and Japanese people. So when, were, you, that, when, you know,
1: when you say contemporary, um, I, I know you talked about the Japanese American style, and yeah. then w- where did the contemporary start, and where did the Japanese style American style kind of not fade out, but when did it become something I else? I think I used the
2: word wrong, but just that, uh, when the Jim Barretts and. Uh, and Jimmy was the second president. It was a Melba Tucker that was like the fourth president. Mm-hmm. But they all studied under prominent Japanese American bonsai artists. So they were like the new generation. Okay. and um, But they were still, they abided by the Japanese code of conduct. Right. You know, you honor the sensei, you do this, you do that, uh, you, you donate your time, you show up at the conventions, you support. We went to early conventions, you go there, we had like 400 people per convention in those days. But all the old Japanese masters were there and with their mm. wives. And they sit in the hallway, you walk by hey John, hey Harry, hey Ben, and just walk down the road, like about 30 of them there, 20 of them. <laughs> so the thing was that they can show up, and you could show up. Mm. You know, it helps the convention with hotel rooms, registration, right? right. You know, and you support your sensei. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got to know everybody. These mm. old timers, man, they drank a lot. So you pay your dues, you know. You crawl out of the bar and <laughs> on the night. Oh, God. oh. <laughs> it was fun, you know. And then we, me and Mal and a few others, we kept the tradition. You know, we, you know, we had our own little hospitality spot in in the hallway after midnight in the lobby of the hotel. And go along long hallways, go to your rooms, but then we find a little cul-de-sac area, and mm. bring out the beer and wine and sake and other things, and. A lot of people like to have fun and like drinking bonsai. like well, we, we're rocking and rolling there.
1: Oh yeah. I've heard I've heard a lot of stories from Chase. Uh, people, yeah, so.
2: yeah. And on uh said I've been on a lot of programs with Chase. Mm. And then uh
1: Do you remember when you two first met or like around the time when you started like seeing each other more?
2: I would say it was about 30 years ago. Okay. He was one of the earlier ones that came from outside of California to be on, on our program. Him mm-hmm. and Bill Albanis and a few others. But uh, I got to know them because I was on the program, and they were on the program, and you know, on you know, the program you tend to hang around together.
1: Right, right. Commiserating all things
2: right. I was, I was, right? I, I was uh, well, especially when I was president. Mm. It was it's a volunteer organization, volunteer position. You know, of course, the federation gives you a couple hundred dollars to get a cheese plate or something for a little reception. <laughs> woefully <laughs> inadequate. You know, it was a joke. Mm. I spent about forty thousand of my own money. Mm. President, huh. you know, for free or volunteer organization. Mm-hmm. I had to travel. I, I made a point to travel to every club. So every weekend, wow. get on an airplane, drive up there, or do something. A lot of time put in. And possibly deal with, you know, like if you have uh, a satellite organization in Ohio and you got clubs out in you know, Cincinnati or some other place, and mm-hmm. there, they got issues and if you don't know what they are. So I went to every club, what's is the issue? I'm the president. I can solve Ninety percent of your things right now. I'm standing right here.
1: Right, you're like the enforcer.
2: Yeah, well, was, <laughs> you know, if you need it, then I'll solve it, and then you know, instead of letting it fester or get caught up in some bureaucracy, is just mm-hmm. you need insurance. I call the insurance chair, and you know, can you get this done like today? It's a simple thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, in those days, it was like uh, we had just turned over to uh, an insurance nightmare. In a lot of our function, a lot of our places, you know, high school gyms and stuff, they needed a uh, uh, liability insurance. Okay. The local clubs couldn't afford it. So we got one for the Golden State Bonsai Federation as the umbrella organization and you can, you know, get it from us. Right, right. So I, uh, but I got to know all these old timers, everybody So it. was like John Naka. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to know John Naka. Mm -hmm. John, you read about it or you read his books. On stage, he could, you know, I I took in almost all his demonstrations and I took as many workshops as I could. He could sing, dance, Draw, work on the tree, tell jokes, carry on a lucid conversation on bonsai aesthetics at the same time. Wow. You know, I've done about 500 demonstrations. I, I can't walk and talk, man. I got, <laughs> you know, let me do this and then ask the question after I finish this little phase here. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, John Nockett is incredible. But I, I found out, you know, I cheated. Mm. I, I used to talk and then I, I would cut in, you know on stage. The plant's already on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would cut all the branches off that I didn't want, and stuck them back in the tree. Mm. Huh. So, you know, and I had that, like the detail wiring, or if I did detail wiring, I did that because you can't see it from the others, you know, I'm just sitting there and flopping all these things out of the tree. Oh, this guy is fast and it's good. You know, so, <laughs> That's a good people. trick. So I just pulled out branches I already cut and then, you know, I just put the big wire on the trunk and did that, you know, but I could talk at the same time then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer doing that because I don't, I just don't like instant bonsai. I don't like downstage. It's a kind of a contemporary thing right now, in my opinion, but a lot of people have this just beautiful work at, when they finish.
1: Mm-hmm. And it seems to be a thing, like you said, a lot of people nowadays are expected to instruct as they are doing their craft, right. Or their art. Where it's, right. And it's almost like that balance or dance like you're talking about where it seems like everyone is supposed to be able to do that now. And when do you do you think John brought that on? As far as the thing that yeah, was he, of necessity,
2: he didn't bring it on. He was just so good that he, he was just no one could even match him. Okay, people have tried to do both, I and mean, it was a crappy conversation or a lousy finished product. So mm-hmm. sometimes you cheat. Sometimes you did what I did. Sometimes you have a lot of assistance. They do the work, and you do the talking. Right, right. Or conversely, you know, these old Japanese American guys, they were kind of uh, some were. The Key base. Some of them speak English as well as they wanted to, so they, you know, they did the work, and they had somebody. It wasn't interpreting; he just kind of uh, verbalizing what's being done on stage.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Play by play, right?
2: Yeah. So that, that's uh, that's another way of doing it. Mm. And, uh, I, I've only met one person like John Naka, that's for sure. <laughs> but you know, that's part of the bonsai basics too. You know, I, I did. I observed a lot of these old timers and how they taught workshops.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: you know and i uh a lot most of them 99.9 percent 9. were male and there is a little sexism involved yeah you know you have a workshop with 10 people and for some reason maybe i was punished but i was always like number 10 <laughs> you know i'll so say you're, you're sitting there for like two hours you know and that time a person comes by or some people actually do sketches of your tree you know and, geez i'm sitting there watching the guy listening to him they sketch in a tree and then once in a while, you come across one person that looked like Marilyn Monroe. You know, an instructor's gone like a half hour with that person. God, ah, dang! You know, I'm still waiting. <laughs> at the end. So we just said once I basic this is, you know, yeah. We made a rule. You know, you're the instructor. You can only spend five minutes per student on the first time around.
3: Right, right. You know, a good idea. Get
2: it started get a feel for the person. If you got an assistant, then you know, you let the assistant kind of uh, help. I said, but you, the instructor, and the assistant can't do the treat for the student. Right. Do yeah. it. You know, so we can't have two instructors in the same room that so they cross paths and well, you should bend it left, or, nah, you should bend it right. Yeah, we can't have that, that kind of confusion.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we definitely said now, I used to talk to all the assistants ahead of time. You cannot interject your own personal opinion, just implement what the you the student and the instructor came up with. Mm-hmm. If you don't be informal price style, then that's what it is. You know, as an assistant, I, I think it looks better as a cascade. Can't
0: mm-hmm.
2: do so yeah that was that's part of this document here how to do these things. But I said John naka was uh, exceptional. so it's just like you can never be him mm-hmm. but it's also nice to know what perfection is what the ultimate is
1: right right
2: yeah you know, Japanese model you know, so <laughs> go to Japanese professional shows. you see right. what the ultimate is supposed to be here you know, and then there's uh I used to joke you know you heard of this guy Marco Ibanezzi,
1: Michael, yeah, I Easy. Yeah.
2: A very popular. He was in California a lot of times. And I sat there in my workshops and he would have a workshop. Yeah, you know, look at my, you know, my my group, all these old ball-headed guys. <laughs> God, I look like rigor motors are sitting on these guys, you know. <laughs> look at Marco's room, all these pretty young women in there. Ah, dang, yeah. <laughs> what gives here, you know, you know. I just said what the perfect male hunk is five, four Japanese American balling. <laughs> <laughs> you're a you're long sex, you're too tall, too short, too heavy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But once you know what perfection is, you know what you strive for. You may not reach it. Right. But John Locke was somebody that uh, uh, everybody wanted to know. And he had his, you know, he was a, he hammed it up. He liked to be popular. And I remember we, in San Diego at the time, I really got to know him well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was always this, in his class. And he thought that I was competent. And so, ah, you know, you know what you're doing. I'll just help somebody else because I'm running out of time. <laughs> 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 but uh it was in San Diego and it was a morning workshop, you know. So there was like six of us doing morning workshops and they all ended at noon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're all dirty, and I was, mine was on pine, so I had to you know go to the bathroom, wash my hands. John Aka was in the bathroom at the same time. Oh, well, cool, and then we walked out and he said, I remember there was like eight women from Guadalajara, Mexico were there. Basically just to see John. Mm. You know, and he came out and he was like a rock star, but everybody had their cameras out and they were going to take pictures with him. And, you know, and John was waving his hand, you know, God ah, damn, you know, no, just me aside, you know, get out of the way. And I looked at John, you know, I called him. I said, John, your zipper's open. And he wore a white shirt. So the white shirt was sticking out of his zipper. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, just he laughed at himself
1: that's good that's
2: good as well okay i'm getting kind of old so every time i see you just check my zipper for me <laughs> every convention i walk by you're okay john it looks okay <laughs> and then you know we both like to joke around so we took it further i said instead of just looking at the zipper i'm gonna bow <laughs> check it out you know we're laughing like this inside joke <laughs> but i said man you really are a true japanese bonsai person here. You, know, you bow low to the master and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on? You know, we, every time I saw him, you know, we sat laughing. It was, it was, it was like you. And you get to know somebody very well. Right, right. Are you familiar with the LA people? Uh you mentioned a few. Well, Ben Oki used to travel around the United States and pretty much yeah. he was like John's first uh, number one assistant at that time. Yeah. Gary got his reputation because of Mr. California Juniper. He went to the desert and brought everybody yeah. out there. But there was a guy named Henry Eva. There was Richard Ota, Frank Goya, mm. Shekya, uh, Moss Moriguchi, Ben Suzuki. Oh, you know, and there was uh, Kajuneda. Well, the reason I bring that up, and there was a George Yamaguchi, but uh, to honor the old times when I was president, you know, mm. they were just getting shuffled away. You know, I the contemporary artists are just trashing them. Like, this this is old country bumpkin stuff.
0: Mm.
2: You know, if I got that tree, I can improve their work, you know. Mm. Uh, Terrible. We have your right to your opinion. And then a lot of contemporary artists that went to Japan after I did, you know, they come back as oh, almost rock stars. Mm-hmm. And then they have their own clubs, their own groups. And they want to fix American bonsai. And I don't know. Maybe you are, but you just can't trust your ways. It's I had to put a label on it, but it's folk art. Right. It's the piece piece mm-hmm. but don't say it was well, a bunch of junk, which is what they did in the fifties and sixties and the seventies. Right, it's
1: so what they had at their at their disposal. Right, they had to utilize what, they, like you said, like they had use of nails and so many things. You know,
2: these are people. I mean, they, you know, some get magazines from Japan, but there was no, you know, no one classically studying in Japan in those days. Right. So they they, they did the best they could. But then uh, we're talking about some of the old timers and in their style. <clears throat> it's not even a style. Mm. I mean. I looked at all these trees, all these people in their collections, even in those Sunset publications, the old books, you know, you see these. this old style. Hmm. So what that means to me is that they started the tree, you know, with good hobby intentions. And then they just, they just sometimes they didn't water for a week. Sometimes wow. Fertilized for a year, you know, they just, but they kept the tree alive. They just knew, you know, maybe tomorrow they'll be dead if I don't water it. You know, they had clay soils and garden soils, the worst horticulture possible. In but in clay soils, you water too much, it stays too wet. You let right. it dry, it's bone dry, and then it cracks. Mm-hmm. You know what to do. So you look at all the old trees, that you can see that the bonsai basic was there. Mm-hmm. But then if you let it grow without pampering it, then you know it starts to develop a bigger head, like on the pines. Right. Ours, you know, it, it's inferior because you know people, it's a smoke, a world where the branches come out. Mm-hmm. Yes, because they come from the same spot, but therefore, you got a knuckle or swelling. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The old style, there's a branch here, branch here, branch here, and then they all started moving up to get to the sunlight. Still had a big head, but it didn't get the knuckle.
1: Well, so is that left, right, left, right, front, back can deal?
2: That's mm-hmm. how I started. And then from there, I mean, they just couldn't work on the tree weekly, they worked on it when they could. Right. There's a poverty and feeding the family, and mm-hmm. but, uh, that's part of the old style. And there's always a, a tremendous negative space. I mean, it was always the north side. It mm-hmm. don't take that much in the old days, mm-hmm. you know, in bonsai, you can get different ways, you know, grab something from the left and bring it to the right, something from the right, bring it just to form this formal cap.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, in the old days, and you know, if you don't work on it too much, the sun side will dominate and then the, the north side of the tree will shade out and get space there. You know, so it's, it's like a common look. You look at all these old trees, they all kind of look the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, well, it wasn't like they all got together in some conference in 1952 and decided this, <laughs> this is the style. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. You know? but, <laughs> but because they just they all kept in my life so long, they start looking kind of similar. Right, right, Very, very individual. It wasn't like cone heads or. You know, I, I don't quite. I, I studied the, the contemporary style in Japan. Mm. The contemporary artist, you know, a very good one. You know, I really I appreciate what I see, but I also up in the old Japanese American community and I looked at the old plants and they to me they look a little more natural. Right. You know, do, do, have, do you have perfect. a do you have a yeah. preference
1: between the contemporary very
2: I chose my I chose the old style because that's something that obviously as a tree owner mm. I wanted my trees to look like trees.
1: Right aesthetically yeah
2: you know, I don't want perfectly like the railway behind you. You know there's gonna be a bias where the big tree is and how the little ones start to move around to get to mm-hmm. the light. Even like the contemporary style, you know, there's the gin tops you know they just make a little yeah. dead piece at the top. Right. On a redwood, it's impossible. You know, unless you get a a thousand year old tree, it's gonna, it's gonna turn into a candelabra after a while.
1: That's yeah, that's really true.
2: You depose the dictator, anarchy happens. Everybody comes up to fight for the lead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good way to explain that. That's a really yeah, straight to the point. So, you know,
2: I, I I got tired of seeing the the quick fix of a gin top. Yeah, I might if I did that, I would actually take that spoke of new branches and then just keep one. And then traded it, you know, really close to the dead piece, mm-hmm. so that obviously you don't want to treat it all well like that. And I want it to be reasonably vertical. And then on a redwood, you know, there's always another basal sprout underneath that one lead that you started, and it's even closer to the middle of the tree. So eventually, I get back to a single top. But the dead piece is obviously it's the story. Mm-hmm. That's what happened, and this is how nature, you know, overcomes that. The will to live,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, go on, but. Uh, and, uh, the contemporary style there's a lot of wood carving a lot of fancy work and i appreciate that mm-hmm. but i, I kind of turned against the california juniper too this is yeah the old days it was just crude work but it just you know the deadwood wasn't polished but that that's that's subjective but right you know, something from the desert today's trees are so beautiful you know, perfectly capped yeah. almost super fit lush green i said how can all this deadwood exist underneath this thing and the top is You know, like I'm 76 years old. If I went, got me an Elvis Presley toupee and start walking around town, it looked kind of funny. You You got a nice green top on. Oh, you know, all this is a desert thing. That's the survival and the Mm. sand and the wind and the blister and heat is, and also the top is less green. How do you justify that? I can't. Mm. But, you know, in a a contemporary world, you know, it looks, that's what's nice. Beautiful work, beautiful craftsmanship. Right. It's just not uh, for me.
1: It keeps people coming back because they they see that beauty, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, my kids, I donated them, and I donated a lot of old ones. Mm. I know they're gonna all be contemporized. Mm. Detail wiring. I I I I, uh, I wired initially, you know, the main trunk. Mm-hmm. Or like I got these old pines from the old timers. You know, I had like a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. Were from the fifties. Wow. I, I didn't want to. I kept them as they were. I mean, I I of course I pruned and you know try to make them back into some you know some form of proportion mm-hmm. but i never changed the flavor of them and i try to keep the uh, uh, personality of the original artist in there yeah but you know people i had a, i donated my trees and when some of the comments were this is great stuff and people came from all over california there for this auction that was done in last year
1: yeah, i did read about that
2: yeah yeah so that's uh gave you a little fame and glory you know, i'm not benevolent but you know if i found out they made you know with the seller, It was a two-part sale. Mm -hmm. The best size were first, and then then like six months later, they had a for the dry goods, the pots, the stands. And I know the plants themselves. They auctioned up the first one was like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow! I think that you know I had a lot of signature pots in Japan, a lot of rosewood stands, a lot of everything.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And I would think that all total, plus the collection kept a lot of stuff themselves, right? You know, but I I I imagine like a half a million dollar donation.
1: Wow, that's amazing. If I knew I was the back 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 myself,
2: sold right? I just, I just stopped. So I mm. just mentor if I can. I not. This is probably the last public thing you're gonna see of me. You know, mm. whether it's a, a, Zoom meeting, but, you know, that's it. I also believe you don't do bonsai. So you shouldn't be talking about it.
0: Right, right.
2: To things to offer. If you want to talk about, it's the last chance to learn something about, the old timers in general in California. Some of the California people still know. There's three people still alive down there in the old school. Frank Goya, Shigmia, and Richard Ota. Okay. You know, there was five of them before. They called them the Iron Man. Was ben Oakey and Harry Robb. but Ben and Harry have since passed. Right. Only three guys left, and they're all hundred. I just saw Frank Goya, you know, like two weeks ago.
0: Mm.
1: How's he doing?
2: He's doing pretty good. You know, you know, quite yeah. recognize you, but he's he's you know, he's look like he's pretty sharp still as far as what he wants to do. Right, right. You know, and, uh Richard Ol is really sharp got hmm. to be in his late 90s we had a exhibition in Japantown I went down for the last 10 years I belong to the it's called a nampukai Club it's a mm-hmm. John Naka special Club you call know, these students that became teachers mm-hmm. I guess but uh I was asked to come down and show a tree sure if it's nampukai I will, mm. Richard Ohta pulls up in his pickup truck. Ninety-eight years old. was like, ah, trucking around. <laughs> <laughs> <do. laughs> but uh, Northern California, I think that's there's, there's no one around now that could tell you all the old names. Okay. Because you know, I was like the only one here. There was four guys down in LA, but there's a couple others that are the sons of some old timers. You know, they're very good. They're sensei's of the club now, but I can't, I can't put them into the category of. Knowing the original history of uh, these bonsai masters. You know, right, it gets,
1: gets convoluted, right?
2: Yeah, in my area, that was Bob Kato, Hiroshi Suzuki, Mitsuhara, mm. uh, Terry Matsutani, Ricky Sumimoto, Jimmy Irodomi. And they had these nurseries, you know, a lot of them had nurseries and uh, you know, bonsai establishments, mm. master nurseries too. But I got a chance to study workshops with every one of these guys. Wow. Only one I, I claimed as an instructor for me was Masa Masumi.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I did almost the unthinkable. I, I shouldn't have, but I, I said, and I asked, because in those days, you do not train with other people. One person only. Mm-hmm. Insult to your instructor if you go study with somebody else. And John Lackon, he came up here like twice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, sometimes it's kind of territorial, and yet there's no Japanese Americans from Northern California going to Southern California. I, think I was the only one that ever did things down there. Wow know, because I want to establish myself as one of you, too. So I went down there all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Northern California, it was like, I asked Moss, is it okay if I, you know, took workshops with other instructors? I said, I'm not, no knock on you, you know, you're still my primary instructor, but i like to learn from, you know, so-called John Hocker, what they got to say. And he said, okay. Wow. From that point on, we traveled the whole world together, Japan together, we roomed together. Mm. Uh, he was, uh, we were like the original odd couple, but uh, he was a very meticulous guy. I'm a t shirt and shorts kind of guy. <laughs> he, that song, and, you know, he, he, he used to go to sleep like at nine o'clock at night. You know, and I, I was trying to sneak out the room and let's go party and you know, let's go have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wake me at five in the morning, let go eat breakfast. Well, I just got stuck in at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> But uh, you know, he, was, he was a very dignified person, very proud. Mm-hmm. But that's something you learn as a Japanese American, especially these old-time guys. They're all they got too much pride. Mm. Uh, they, they, you, know, you don't slight them. Even if they, you know, even if you didn't mean it, but man, they hold that grudge forever. So you just have to know these things. You make a lot of enemies.
1: Do you think that pride comes from their experience of post World War II and all the things that they had to? The grievances or just their experience of how to stay safe and just I keep think, this identity
2: i think that was you know that's part of it but i think it still goes back to japan it's very mm-hmm. male-oriented society and yeah you know there's a lot of, of one-upmanship or, but there's respect
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: at the same time as you know i i respect all these people and i even what i mentioned i actually had a chance to assist them in some demonstration of some workshop
1: right like you said yeah
2: so sure, you get to know everybody, and then you know I'm, I'm one of you. Though I'm not, I can't say I'm Japanese.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, I in fact I had to relabel how I I uh, think of myself. Mm-hmm. Japanese American is a nice term. Mm-hmm. Now I say I'm an American with Japanese ancestry. Okay, Japan, that's a foreign country, and uh, even Japanese Americans of the second generation, so you know, we don't think the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm they conform they work hard so man i i wasn't like a party animal but i just you know, <laughs> so i got arrested you know for fighting right okay I i went to vietnam
1: served mm. there. okay
2: but that that's kind of like how things how your life changes and how, how you like how short life is and
0: mm-hmm.
2: i was an in infantry I, you know I, I purposely make sure i signed the little you know, information She's properly. This she is. Do you like firing guns? No. You like camping? No. You know, like. <laughs> Are you kind of an aggressive guy? No. <laughs> well, what do you like? I said I like typing.
0: Mm.
2: I was trying mm. to be a typist in the army, but I couldn't. Mm. I got shut out of that school, so I went to signal school. And long story short, I wound up in Vietnam because of I got in the fight when I was in high school.
0: Mm.
2: Mom had to pick me up at. Police station. She didn't mm-hmm. drive the car, took the bus. A typical Japanese American, Japanese second generation woman. She she apologized that she failed me because we were broke and I'm mm-hmm. still a knife and cut this guy's head off. Right? Mm-hmm. High school gym, the guy called me a Jap. I said, That's it. Wow. Yeah. You can no. Insult, you can insult my mother. You can insult the way I look, my clothes, but don't call me a Jap or a Jank or a goop.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So all my life, I got. Kind of reprimanded, but everybody's you know, even in the army, I got reprimanded twice. Mm-hmm. I call you a gook. I said, Look, mm. I can die just like you, right? Right. And the thing was, you know, this company commander says he got reported, so you know, he had to do something, but he says, I understand, you know, it's just, it's a racist thing, and so I never got promoted. Mm. I was a corporal, basically a spec forward, and then I, I actually ran my division in the whole central highlands area in my wow. job. Uh, Description and it's supposed to be like four or five ranks higher. So he said, "If I demote you, that's on your records. I just won't promote you." Okay, so I just made my—I don't know—it was twenty-five dollars a month or something. That was it. But anyway, that's like uh, that dictates how I look at bonsai. Right. Appreciate these old timers and what they went through. Mm -hmm. Appreciate the next generation of people that were not Japanese American, but. They kind of fit into the uh, the mold of what the old times were trying to do. We like said that the, the Warren Hills, the Jim Barretts, the Larry Ragels, mm-hmm. up here we had John Planting, Bill Sullivan, there's a whole bunch of people that were more Japanese than I was.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you know, I said, I I'm, I got a Japanese heritage, ancestry, but I lived in Japan and that's a foreign country. And
1: hey bonsai time podcast listeners this is your host kevin saying thank you for listening make sure to stay tuned for part two being released next week if you enjoyed this episode please give us a like and leave a comment next week's episode will cover more of dennis's journey in bonsai life and all things else remember to bonsai on and have fun today's episode has been recorded produced and edited by kevin ferris and ryan houston Our music was provided by MIDI Cancer. To find more music from MIDI Cancer, check out their SoundCloud and Bandcamp pages. To find more information on the podcast, please check out our Instagram page, Bonsai Time Podcast, and our website, bonsaitimepodcast.com. To stay in touch with us, Kevin's Instagram is kevin underscore Ferris, PNW, and Ryan's website is right2tree2.com. You can find these links in the description below. Thank you for listening, and bonsai on.